0: Welcome back to the latest latest installment of the Build It podcast. Joining us this week as ever, uh, my trusty co-host John Hall. Hi, John. Hello, Nick. How are you? I'm very well. John, yourself? Oh,
1: just uh, back from holiday, as you would say,
2: yeah. and
1: uh, refreshed,
0: re-energized. Love Same old grumpy me, though. Love to hear it. It's almost like we haven't been speaking for the last half hour before this kicked off we could have done without all these formalities and this week we are joined by um, Stuart Fuller chairman of Lewis FC. Hi Stuart.
2: Hi guys how
0: you well. That was a horrible introduction I might even yeah, end it. I have it to was. edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, Stuart thank you very much for joining us. The reason we got you on um, Lewis are a non-league club for those who don't know Lewis are a non-league club down in on the south coast of England correct?
2: Correct yes. Yes. Playing at what level are we playing at? So our men's team play in the seventh level of English football, um, and our women's team play in the second level of English football. With, and for the women's team, that is quite the achievement, right? Yeah, they're they're essentially they're they're semi professional so they're playing in the same league as Leicester City, uh, Liverpool um, are in that league this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Crystal Palace, Charlton Athletic. Um, yes, yeah, so some quite big teams in that league That's yeah, a phenomenal, phenomenal
0: achievement And famously, of course And we will touch on this later, I'm sure But um, you, because they the semi professional You guys pay equal wages across both teams, correct? That's one of um, your big things Yes, yeah,
2: so, so the two first team managers have um, the same budget Yes Yeah. So just to clarify It doesn't mean <laughs> that the players are necessarily paid the same It means that the, the budgets they have to choose So they could you know, they could, they could play the whole lot on one marquee player if they wanted them to play, pay everyone else a dollar. Um, yeah. They don't, but they could do, yeah.
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to overstate how groundbreaking an idea that has been and how people have embraced it. may not have it replicated it yet, but definitely embraced it and applauded it. So, hats off to you, if nothing else. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Stuart, could you give us a little quick backstory on you, your soccer story and, um, your, and your time with Lewis, how you ended up yeah, there? Yeah, sure. And,
2: um, so, there's, there's a couple of sort of compelling events um, it, that have taken me along the way. Um, my background is uh, uh, I did some work in football 20 years ago, um, some consultancy work with what is now the EFL, the English Football League, um, in terms of some of their, their larger um, commercial deals. Um, I'm a... a, a a born and bred West Ham fan so I've been going along to West Ham for years um, and then started going to watch European football um, 20 years ago um, and then uh, uh, when the World Cup was um, uh, due to take place in the in Germany 2006 the year before um, I got made redundant from a job I got paid out some money um, and I was told that I couldn't go and work for anyone for six months. Um, so my wife jokingly said, well, why don't you go and write a book? <laughs> and so I went off to Germany for three months and wrote a book, uh, researched the, the, um, all the venues, the pubs, the hotels. This is at the time when the internet, you know, was nowhere near the information on the internet. Um, so there was, there was no guidebook. So I wrote a guidebook. Um, which I then managed to sell the rights to to the US um, Soccer Association, to the uh, Trinidad and Tobago Soccer Association, um, to the Australians, uh, and, and sort of funded a, a, a few more years of, of travelling around Europe and, and the world, well, Europe, to watch football. Um, through that, uh, I met a, um, uh, a like-minded chap called Danny Last, Um, who uh, owned a website called European Football Weekends. And um, he's a Brighton fan. And at the time, Brighton was sort of exiled outside of the city. And he said, why don't you come down, you know, um, come down and meet me. We'll have a beer and you can come along to this team I've been watching called Lewis. And I had no idea where Lewis was, let alone that they had a team, but 60 miles south of London. Um, Went down there. Thoroughly enjoyed it at the time. West Ham, it was it was dire football um, around that time with people like Avram Grant in charge and and Alan uh, Kerbishley. Um So started watching Lewis. Really enjoyed it. Football didn't really matter. You had a beer. You you know some good people to chat to. Uh, and then the, the club ran into massive financial problems. Um, it had grown up too quickly. It had got to. Um, uh, step five in the, in the English game, which was a step way too far for it. And it collapsed um, quite literally like a house of cards. The global financial crisis happened at the same time. So the current owners just didn't have any money. Um, so the club was in dire straits. Um, I got involved. I helped them a bit on the commercial side. Um, the club then decided to go into community ownership. following year, so this is 2010 uh, and I joined the board uh, in 2011 um, predominantly um, to look after football, uh, the men's football team Um, and uh, I became chairman in 2015 um, and I'm now 10 years on the board. Uh, I've managed to get through five managers in that time uh, one promotion, one relegation, um, and, yeah, that's that's where we are now. So, essentially, that brings me to where I am now.
0: <laughs> no, that's uh, comprehensive, I think, is the word for that. Thank you very much for that. So, um, I know John's going to have 101 questions about um, community involvement one or but I, first off, when you say you were brought on primarily for... Um, on the on the football side of things, like you, that was your that implies to me that there was the board were doing other things other than football. Like people had their fingers, not in other pies, but like their like, their focus elsewhere. How, yeah, would that be a correct? So, yeah, how did that? Work? So
2: there's there was six six um what's called the, the they were called rooks one two five, which is uh, the fact that the club was 125 years old when it was taken over. Um, six people who were sort of thrown together. Uh, you know, sort of like a couple of them knew each other and then one of them would know someone else. And out of those six people, you had... um, Two of them are still involved in the club. Uh, So one guy who uh, essentially runs a hedge fund, another one who um, had uh, owned a marketing agency that he had sold to someone big and essentially was retired at the age of 40-odd. Two script writers, one of whom... um, has an Oscar nomination for, for a film. Uh, the other one has got various BAFTAs, which are sort of like the you know the, the UK equivalent of the Golden Globes. Yep. Uh, his work in you know he created the horrible histories and and a couple of other journalists. So nobody had any any background in football. So when I came along and joined the board, it was like, well, you, you you're your football. And I'm like well I've written some books on football. I did some work on you know commercial deals, but I'm not football, and they're like, Yeah. And at the time, the, the club had this um, <laughs> the club's manager was a guy called Steve King. Um, and Steve had been the manager when the club had done their meteoric rise through the um, through the leagues. Um, Steve's an interesting character, um, uh, very demanding. <laughs> that's a, that's a new yeah, thing, isn't it? Very demanding. I, I love Steve, <laughs> he's, he's now manager at step two down here, I, I, I see him everywhere because he goes through every game every day. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and literally like on day one, it was like, right, okay, you're, you're now the interface between Steve and the board. And, uh, yeah, that was a sort of back to the fire, so it was like, you know, I want to sign this player. Um, right, okay, well, we need to do this. No, no, no. No, we need to do this way. We need to pay this guy here, he's going to pay him and he's going to pay him and pay him. And and it was, literally, I, I I was thrown in, not even to the deep end, I was thrown into the, you know, to the Marianas Trench and had to swim. And I always remember someone telling yeah. me at a meeting about three months into it, and they, they they said, where'd you come from? And I went, I'm at Lewis. And they went, oh, yeah. you're that club who's doing that fancy community ownership. He said, you'll never be successful because none of you understand football and none of you understand non-league football. Um, and that's always stuck <laughs> with us, always stuck with us. And, you know, 10 years down the, down the line, you know, the club is in a fantastic shape. Uh, the only thing that actually isn't going as well as we wanted it to is, is still on the, on the field, you know, we're 10 years down, yeah. the, down the line and we're still playing at the same level when I joined. <laughs> that's something about your management however what I will say is last season when before the season was ended early um, we were top of the respect league so the FA have <laughs> this respect campaign which is basically around on-field discipline in terms of uh, dissent and also uh, your management team um, we were top out of uh, uh, 224 clubs and lo and behold this season when the season is stopped at the end of october we were top again um unfortunately you're, you're too nice uh, that's what you're saying you just unfortunately nice. my idea of an open top um i store around the town <laughs> um has been um shelled because of covid
0: what's the how does it look now how'd you how do you break up club management for want of a better phrase between whoever's involved especially when you're community led right there's got there's still got to be a hierarchy yes. of control um, surely.
2: Uh, well <laughs> quite an apt conversation because literally you know I, I was slightly late coming on to this call because we had a, a board call talking about the budgeting processes for next year. Um, how the how the board is split so we have a we have a board of 10 um, ten ten directors uh, nine of the directors are um, elected by the by the owners um, for three-year terms. So I'm in my fourth term. This is the last term I can serve before I have to stand down for a minimum of two years from the board. Um, so we have we have nine directors in that phase. We also have one um, director that's Condit onto the board, um, who is a young lady called Claire Rafferty, who is uh, an ex-Lioness, uh, uh, played for Chelsea, played for um, West Ham in her career. And she's her role is specifically to, f- to focus on the women's football operations in terms of developing pathway, all those type of things. Um, we also have a general manager. Um, who is a lady called Maggie Murphy? Who is absolutely amazing, and will often be. I mean, last week she or two weeks ago she was talking on the the FT's um, uh, business of football conference. So along with you know the, the CEO of Syria R and and people like that. That's the type of circles that she works in. Um, and we have a financial controller, and, and mm-hmm. that's essentially the. the the club we have a a guy who does you know odd jobs around the around the ground and 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 that's it how we work as a board is um we we have five pillars each pillar um has a very specific focus each pillar has its own budget whether that's a revenue or a cost budget And, and our pillars basically look at um football operations um which i head up that pillar um uh, what we call is um, Ohio, which is our house in impeccable order, which is the way in which we run our club. Um, we have a pillar called Fancom, which is fans and the community. Um, we have um, Poscon, which is positive contribution to the world, um, and then we have financial sustainability. So, in financial sustainability, you'll have the guys that are going out there trying to do the commercial deals, the sponsorships. Um, positive uh, um, impact on the world. This is where we talk about our equality message or our stance on anti-gambling or on equalization of of prize money. Um, So in each of those, you you may have two or three or four directors um, and each one has a sort of head director. Um, So I'm head director of the football operations, but also sit in FANCOM. Um, mm-hmm. And the idea being is that in each of those pillars, we can also then pull in non-board members, but who are specialists in that area.
1: Gotcha, John. I'm just fascinated.
0: <laughs> I thought you were. I could see we, we letting daylight in on magic. We've got a shared Google Keep note, and I can just see these notes rolling and rolling and rolling <laughs> as John's talking. It's almost like we've got a personal secretary.
1: No, it, it, and it's it's interesting uh, and. A lot of what you guys are doing is, is similar to what we've got with, we have, a, we're a nonprofit, so we're all volunteer run, we have a board of directors. There's eight of us on the board of directors right now. And then we have a whole bunch of other people and a bunch of us on the board also kind of get involved with our advisory board, which is our community outreach and our memberships and our marketing and all the, the day-to-day of the club. And it sounds like you guys do uh, sort of your five pillars I noted. Um, Mm. I think that's just, it's, it's very organized. I'm curious. Um, I'm, I'm, I guess in a similar role. I'm the president of the board, whatever that means, but I'm trying to help everybody stay organized and, and on task. And I work with Nick a lot on the marketing and media stuff. I work with uh, operations on, Logistical things, I work, whatever. I do a little, I, I dabble in everything. So I'm kind of in all of our pillars. And as, as much as I try to get myself out, I guess it's a character flaw. But um, how do you manage your time? I, you know, I have a, a, my day job, we have three little kids. I'm busy. How do you manage your meeting schedules and just organizing all these different things that are going on? How do you get updates? You know, is it monthly, weekly? Is this your full-time project now? Give me, give me some of that overview. Sure.
2: Um, so, uh, me personally, I've, uh, up until sort of Christmas or January, um, my, my full-time job basically involved me traveling around the world for 25% of my time. Um, you know, uh, I have two teenage daughters. My wife works. Um, in, in quite a stressful job that, that essentially over the last year has been um, massively impacted. She's head of um, research, basically in a, in a hospital trust. So they've been, you know, researching and, and clinical trials of, of COVID-related drugs. Um, how, we, how we traditionally have worked uh, as a club was uh, we use um, Slack um, and Slack works quite well. So within Slack, we'll have the, the five pillars and, and only the people that need to be in the pillars are in those pillars. We'll have a board chat. We'll have one that is um, where we post any articles that could be useful or any mentions of the club. Um, we meet every two weeks. And interestingly, COVID has meant that we've had to, to, to go remote like every other business. And for me, because I, I, I'm based 60 miles away from the club, so when we had a ball meeting every two weeks and we had games on, potentially twice a week, I was having to do the journey um, three times a week. Now, either I drove, which meant that's three hours there and back, or I got the train, which meant I was getting home at midnight. Um, it, it, it didn't really work for me, but remote it's absolutely fantastic um, and it, it suits me perfectly and what it means is we have every two weeks on a Monday night we meet for about an hour and an hour and a bit um, we have one person who is responsible for running the meetings um, it's the same person every week and one person who does notes which is our financial controller so there's none of this sort of like swapping around um, everything is documented um, and then we'll have what we call the pillar updates. So the pillar updates tend to be every two weeks. So on the Monday where um, we don't have a board meeting, that's when we'll do our football operations update. And then that same week we do the, the fan update, but there's stuff that happens all the time. Um, I'm now essentially um, running my own consultancy um, and it, I've been lucky because we, we're not playing football at the moment on the men's side. We Our season is over and and actually in the last year, um, since the 12th of March 2020, um, we've only played 10 competitive games. So I've been lucky in a way because I've been able to transition from a, a, a very heavy full-time role into something I'm doing for myself and keep an eye on the football and make sure the family's okay, and do some uh, remodeling of the house. Um, so I've taken the, the opportunity to be able to do that, but I'm I'm pretty organized person. I, 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 I'm good with my time. I understand um, where we need to be as a club. We have a very clear strategy as a club, uh, which means that if we bring new people onto the board, um, we can quickly bring them up to speed and say, look, this is what we're trying to achieve this year. This is our plan for next year. And this is our plan for the year after. And obviously, you know, things change all the time in football or in in life. And one of the things that we've, we've done really well as a football club is we've, we've adapted, we've been able to adapt because um, uh, we're quite flexible and, We've never done things conventionally, so we've tried to do things unconventionally, and and some of them have worked, and some of them haven't.
1: It's it's uh, it all just really relevant with me because I feel, I feel like uh, like you you just laid out every Monday you have a meeting, either for this, either for the board or for your pillar, or your secondary pillar. You you have weekly scheduled meetings, hmm. basically year round, and. We we've uh, we do our board meetings just quarterly, and then our advisory board meetings we do monthly, and and we, I think we do a pretty good job of documenting it. And we also use a, a use a platform to communicate as best we can. And um, I think that's one of my struggles is just trying to help. Like Nick and I can talk and have an idea for some little campaign of something. Well, to get our thoughts into one of our other volunteers and say, hey, can you run with this project? By the time we explain it, we probably would have had it done and that's management skills that, you know, I guess I'm still working on. But some of these some of these things, because we get to talk to people like you, we have all these little sparks. And then um, I, I think I struggle to, here, take this project, here's what I'm thinking, now run with it and give us an update at our next meeting. Um, and, and, and I can tell you, I believe I am one of the most lucky people in American non-league, if we want to call it that, because we continually are bringing in new people that want to help. Mm. And there's a lot of clubs at our level that it's one or two people or a husband and wife or a, or, a, or the coach is also running the club, so to speak. Um, so I'm, I'm not complaining because I know a lot of my peers would would murder to have 20 people <laughs> ready to help so yeah. i i just think it's interesting that that even at at your level you're um you sound you certainly talk um better than i do in, in terms of how you're organized and and how you're structured but it, it's very much the same challenges so of your of your i always talk and then i get to a question 7 or 8 minutes later as okay. nickel nick knows so all are you are you all volunteers at the board level, or do you have to, or do you, as, as the chairman, or I mean, you're just you're equal to the other board members, really, so you're not financially obligated, um, to make up shortcomings at the end of the year yourself. If your if your financial sustainability pillar is working, then that doesn't become a problem, I would imagine.
2: Oh, <laughs> right, I yeah, let me answer, answer those. Um, so, as a as a board. Um, everyone on the board is a volunteer um, We volunteer our time um, The only people employed by the club our, our general manager is employed by the club And it's actually Because technically she's the general manager Of the women's team um, she's um, She is funded by the football association That's part of the deal um, uh, And we we have a you know twenty hour a week financial controller who's funded and then we have the operations um or the 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 handyman um who's who's funded as uh, he's paid as well um I would love to say to you um that every year um uh, we we take our our profit and as a non for profit organization we distribute it to good causes. Um, in the 10 years that I've been involved in the club, we've had one year where we've made a profit and that was a marginal profit every year since then um, we've made a loss and some years we've made big losses Um, and we have to find ways in which um, we fund those losses and the majority of the time, those losses have been funded by um, director donations. Now, that's obviously not sustainable in the long term. And we've been able to, to reduce those over time um, without. And one of the things we've always tried to do is without compromising on what we're trying to do. It would be so easy. It, it would be really easy for us to make a profit as a football club. We would just st- stop doing all the things that um, we do good in the world. Now, the interesting part of this is when, especially when we decided to go down the route of equality, we genuinely thought that there would be a, a sit up and listen moment. You know, people would say, wow, look what these guys are doing. Yeah. We, we really agree with that. We want to be part of that. And people didn't. And it was a bit of a surprise. Um, and it's taken us four years to get to a point where people are now getting it. We, we, we got this deal um, with Lyle and Scott and Lyle and Scott came to us and they they predominantly wanted to sort of change their um, uh, their brand, their brand image. And they saw what we were trying to do at Lewis as, as, as exactly what they wanted to try and change to to become more inclusive to be more part of a community organization and the deal they did with us was was a six-figure deal um it's a big it's a it's a deal that if you rolled up all the other deals we've done over 10 years it wouldn't equal what this one deal was and that has been transformational and then what's happened is we've had a couple of other organizations that have come in off the back of it because all of a sudden they're saying well hang on a minute if a brand like that is getting involved, then actually, hang on, perhaps we should, we should be looking at this now. So what we're now in a position of is, is a, that we've got a club that potentially is now self-sustaining, but B, we're starting to be able to, to really think about investing in capital projects that will benefit the whole community. Um, so, you know, we're looking at building a gym, um, Uh, at our uh, so our training facility is next to our ground um, which has got an artificial pitch and it's got a you know changing rooms and things like that so we're now looking at putting a gym there so that that could be used by a wider community Um, and little things like that that now mean that we're able to start thinking about how we can put genuinely put things back into the community um, as well as having a, a a football team that might just win more than it loses
1: no it's it's funny that that even you've talked a little bit about the footballing side, but your ethos of your club is is the community and impacting the community, and the winning is is important because it makes that beer on match Day taste that much better. Mm-hmm. but it doesn't make you more sustainable and it doesn't make you a better club because matches to me, matches are fleeting. Yeah. It's, it's a two hour experience. And while we have not, we are, we are a club of, um, I don't know, four years, four years ago I started this project. So we've played, we've actually only played two seasons cause we didn't play last year. Mm-hmm. So you're, you guys, are, I think 1885 you and 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 it's it's just interesting um you're far ahead of us in a lot of ways but the the, the problems or the challenges are the same mm-hmm. so we as americans look over and go damn the english got it figured out and nick continually tells me no it's just different it's not there's a lot of things that are better but there's a lot of things that Aren't solved by Pro Rel. They're not solved by this or that. Or, and I think it's it's just extremely interesting that the the challenges of running a club don't change whether you're 135 years old or three years old, Hmm. and we're thousands of miles away. We still have to manage people. We still have to involve the community.
2: Yeah, I think to be to
1: be successful.
2: I I mean, Lewis is a town of uh, 20,000 people. we are, the, we are the biggest <clears throat> social club event there could be in Lewis. <clears throat> we really struggle to get people of Lewis to come to watch a game, to volunteer, to do anything to do with the club. It's, and, you know, if I look at, we have 1,600 owners around the world we probably have 500 from Lewis. So, you know, potentially, you know, two, two and a half percent of the people who live in Lewis are an owner of the football club of the town. And that's our struggle. You know, if we could get an extra hundred people through the gate from Lewis on a match day, that would make the club financially sustainable it would you know irrelevant who our sponsors are and things like that 100 people through that match day who through the gates spending money in our ground that would make us financially sustainable
0: yeah well how do you get another 100 that's what we're going to talk about john that's what (laughs) um yeah just to reiterate what you were both saying i think the thing about you know results don't matter but they do but they don't i think Stuart and I could name off the top of our heads 10, 15, 20 clubs that have bought success, be it the Man City model or be it the Billy Ricky model and all points in between. Um, and you know, maybe Man City is a bad example, but like they're not around to tell the tale 5, 10 years yeah. from now. Um, well, this is why I'm with us, Nick. You know, yeah, that's, that's, exactly. that was the Lewis story. Yeah, which is why, you're, which is why you've, you've broken yeah. that, that mould, not the broken the mould, but you're, why you're trying to do something different. That You can't just throw away 125 years or whatever it is of history Just on a whim um and you know it doesn't matter which side of the Atlantic you're on people are trying to buy success all the time and focusing on the on-field product at the expense of everything else and I think honestly like even with the relegation hanging over you guys and I don't know where you were in the league when things went horribly wrong but the threat of relegation is always there whereas it isn't in the US but results have to be the last thing you consider right yes they get people in through the gate but they don't matter in your long term survival. No one remembers the result of the 1964 league game. Yeah. And it's to me it's it's so strange that people don't see that. Businessmen who have business people, sorry, who have the money to buy clubs, to finance clubs, to run clubs, just see it as oh we must be in the, we must be at the next level to attain whatever success looks like to them. And it's not that. That's the it's a ten percent gate increase. It's, it's, it's the simplest way, isn't it? Surely, not the simplest way in terms of how to achieve it, but it's the simplest way of thinking of it.
2: Yeah, it is. It's it's those people coming through the gate um, and spending money, and you know, it's having a pint, it's having a, mm. a you know a a, a a pie, it's you know taking part in the fifty-fifty draw, it's you know, it's all those things
0: yeah absolutely
2: right guys um we are running out
0: of time in this first half um we'll pick up on the second half we're going to talk about community involvement and um stuff like that if that's all right so i'll see you on the i'll see you on the other side chaps thank you I want to lean on the community aspect a little bit more, and I think it's a frustration that we all share. And I'm, I honestly, I was surprised to see, um, to hear the numbers you were talking about about two percent or whatever of you know being actual actual stakeholders. What were you pulling pulling in on a match day out approximately?
2: Well, in terms of fans.
0: Yeah, yeah, not much
2: So um, pre-COVID on the men's side, up to six hundred, uh, and on the women's side about five hundred
0: for the women's that's that's mighty impressive, yeah. I think. I don't know, maybe it's things have changed, but certainly there wasn't that engagement. No, no, that's there,
2: well, that's we were the we're one of the top eight supported clubs in the country.
0: Right, and playing at the second level. That's yeah, phenomenal yeah. phenomenal achievement. Just that doesn't help us in the course of this podcast at all, but how come Brighton haven't come knocking for your, your lady setup?
2: They've got their own. And interestingly, you know, their 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 women's team don't play in Brighton. They play in Crawley. Oh Jesus!
0: Yeah. Yeah. Creepy Crawley. Okay. All right, just, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting. What what level do they play at? Are they're they... in
2: the super, they're in the Super League, so they're in Step One.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because it cut they try to basically just echo the Premier League, didn't they? Really. Yeah. I remember the story of the Doncaster Bells and everything else. All right. Cool. No matter. All right. Um. So, what what pitfalls have you? What struggles have you seen in terms of getting? Punters through the door, getting the community engagement, getting local businesses involved. Why aren't they, to, to the best of your knowledge?
2: Um, I think that, that some of it is, is historic. Um, I think that um, quite a few local businesses got their fingers burnt uh, when the club was very successful. What, what happened was the club, obviously, um, was growing and growing and growing. More money was going into the club. They were winning leagues they started looking further afield and, and bigger sponsors. They started, you know, ignored some of the more local sponsors or the sponsors that they, um, they did bring in and the suppliers they brought in, um, when the club went essentially went pop, those people were left with debt. So trying to engage with the local community, um, you know, a few years later was, was quite tough. And, um, uh, Lewis is an interesting place. It, it, it's very unusual. Um, um, you only have to sort of do a, uh, a, a Google search um, and you'll see about Lewis and you'll see some of the things about uh, the 5th of November uh, and and the type of celebrations they have there. It's it's a very um, cause related town. Let's put it that way. And um, uh, and so that, so as a community, it's it has a very strong community ethos, but but it has to buy into uh, what's going on. So, in it's, some it's ways, it's difficult to describe. So, if I look at, um, for example, in the pandemic, Lewis has been absolutely fantastic at raising money um, for food banks um, for people that are disadvantaged, and. And the community can come together and they will do these massive events where they'll approach us as a football club and say, do you want to get involved? And we're like, yeah, absolutely, we'll get involved. So there'll be the football club, the rugby club, the cricket club, the, um, you know, all these different organisations will be represented and helping the the general community. Um, But it's interesting that the community itself doesn't necessarily buy into the football club. I, you know, I I don't 100% know why. You know, we've tried to do everything we can. Um, We've tried to promote promote ourselves. You know, the whole concept of, you know, one of the reasons why Lewis Football Club is famous is is because of the Match Day posters. Now, they were designed 10 years ago to get the community interested in the fact there was a football club down the road. Um, And what actually happened was, the local community was, was a you know, they engaged to a point, but it was a little bit like, yeah, mm. whereas the rest of the UK and the rest of the world were like, wow, who's this little football club? What are they doing? Wow, this is brilliant. <laughs> and it sort of had this effect of everyone wanted to come and visit the Dripping Pan. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike Bailey's book, The 100 Top British Grounds, you know, all of the grounds in Britain, you know, Wembley, White Hart Lane. Number one is the dripping band. <laughs> How much did you pay him for that? <coughs> uh, nothing, but it's funny actually because I, I'd known that we were number one for about four years, not allowed to tell anyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I think it's it, it's a it's a very valid point. It's like there is a huge difference between on, and um, I think I'm extrapolating what you're saying, but a huge difference between um, local. Inverted commas, important engagement and online digital engagement, right? Is like if for all the follows and the likes and the remote shirt sales, even that you can get, don't mean nothing in in relation to ten pie sales, realistically.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's mad.
0: Yeah, it's a struggle that we certainly have on this side of the of the Atlantic. Is just you know um, we he said piping is up, his own horn. We have a fairly good online presence. Um, and there's clubs out there that do it infinitely better than us and there's clubs in the UK that do it infinitely better than you do um, but they don't they seem to have a, a they seem to be distracted by the numbers you know the likes and the retweets and whatever rather than the or the, the sexy shirt design or whatever it is shirts designs are a huge thing over here um, at the expense of what can we do to get 10 more people through the gate there has to be a a switch to a more inward looking basically I think um that we need to be more aware of your I mean I love your posters every you know I'm the same as everyone else I didn't live in Lewis I loved your posters I fell in love with Lewis because of the posters if anyone's listening to this hasn't checked them out you should absolutely check them out I'm pretty sure John's doing it right now but um they are not you know they were just they were inspired as a diversion for you guys right they mm, weren't yeah. there wasn't a thing it was just like hey you can draw go away and do this thing and they've been they took on a life of its own um but as you say, they haven't affected the club other than you know. I'm assuming you sell them as posters and stuff, which is great to yeah. add additional income. But you know, three posters or three season tickets. Which would you rather have? It's not. It's, exactly. no, it's yeah, a no-brainer. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Where where we I have didn't... one of the interesting things on the community where we have had real success um, is working with local groups that haven't necessarily seen themselves be involved in, in, in football or um, a finding, finding that there is, you know, football is something that they can bring back into their small communities. So, you know, we, we work with a number of charities. Um, interestingly, you know, um, the Sussex Fire Brigade, um, we did quite a lot of work with them. And in fact, we, we're due to deliver some training to their management team uh in may about you know as a football club how do we lead you know what do we do that's exemplary how do we change the dynamic um and they'd come to us and said look we really admire what you do we you know we know that you're all volunteers we'd love to learn from from you so we said okay fine you know we'll put together uh, you know some 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 learning whether it's going to be online or face to face we we don't know we're hoping it's going to be face to face now um, but we're able to go and talk to them and, and give them some idea of the lessons and the way we work because the interesting thing about a football club is you know as opposed to a job when if you look at an, a company um you know people are employed in that company based on their skill sets so what you tend to find is if you've got a firm of accountants um those people are, are going to be pretty much the same type of people um, whereas a football club you know you've got an accountant you've got a salesperson you've got you know a, a lawyer you've got all those different people coming together and it makes just a, a very different dynamic and that should help you sell yourselves into the community
1: I think one of the things I agree with you that's we've talked about that a little bit that's how we came together we just kind of a group of random people with different skill sets and it, we didn't know it at the time but that's what got us you know to to still be in existence at this point and I think one thing listening to you guys that that I continue to jump out is there there is no magic bullet for attracting a crowd um, or attracting supporters or attracting fans or whatever the you have to do so many things at the same time, because this initiative over here is going to bring you three fans mm-hmm. to the next match. And this one is going to bring you two fans. And this one's going to bring you seven. And wow, we were up 17 people. I don't do math very well. We were up 17 people. Way to go. But it took a lot of effort to get those 17 extra people. So, how do you balance, you know, as volunteers? how do you balance, hey, I'm gonna run with this, this campaign or this project? Well, the correspondence and the graphics and the marketing and the face-to-face promotion and maybe doing an event in person and you could spend 20 or 30 hours putting together a very simple project. How do you weigh that where, as you said, we try to do everything when somebody asks, we try to be supportive and get involved but they don't always reciprocate that without obviously we, we sort of can take it personally, but you know, how do we start to like figure out which things we have to pass on? Because I don't have those 30 hours to give you for this project, even though it's the right thing. And I believe in it. I don't have the time to, to commit to it. Is that something you guys run into periodically?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's time and time again, there's one thing that impacts crowds, in my view. And that is a team that's winning. Simple as that. And we can see. So so in, in the seasons where we've won more than we've lost, if I look at our... At, at the season where we were promoted, so we were top of the league for 37 out of the 42 games. Um, we were getting crowds pushing over a thousand because people want to see a team winning. They want to see the fact, because, you know, I, I, that season for us was legendary in terms of the players. Um, and, and, you know, I, I recently was speaking to one of the players. It was a goalkeeper who's now retired. And he said that there was one particular game. We were three 0 down at halftime and we came back and we drew three all. And he said, we walked into that dressing room at, at halftime, 3-0 down, and we knew that we would at least draw that game. Losing was not ever an option. That rubs off on the crowd. And the crowd don't want... The crowd don't want... There's a saying that you, that, that is quite funny that says, you know, I've had a great day out of the football apart from the 90 minutes where we played. And that's true in some ways. But fans won't go, they won't support a team that is constantly losing. The the hardcore will, but those people that are the 70 percenters and the 60 percenters, they'll find something else to do. But if you're winning and you're playing good football, then they will come and watch you. And, you know, we've tried pricing promotions. We've tried changing our kickoff times, changing our kickoff days. You know, you you name it, we've tried it, and in the the vast majority of circumstances, the only thing that we really see works is if the team is winning, and then they'll come back. Yeah, a, a really good example is. So this season, um, so we we our last home game or our last game in last season was the twelfth of March, um, and. We first played at home this year on the 26th of September. So you're talking about six months. And we had to, We the, the regulations in this country said that we could only um, admit 600 people maximum. So our ground can hold 2,000, 600 people maximum. And we didn't feel that we were able to Um, sell 600 tickets because our ground has certain bits that are quite tight and social distancing. So we capped the tickets at, at 400. We sold 370 tickets for our first game. our first game in six months. First game anybody's really been out of watch football in six months because we'd had a terrible season last year. Terrible season. We probably... We might have got relegated in the end. And not a lot had changed. You know, the squad was roughly the same. The manager was the same. So even though people hadn't seen football for six months, it was that, mm, yeah, mm, not sure I really want to come. <laughs> now, the last two games we played back in October, you know, we'd, we'd started off... We started off poorly. We lost our first four games and, and then we picked up and then we 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 won a couple we drew a couple we won a couple more um and we increased our capacity to 450 and we sold out like within with days to go because people wanted to see us playing again and that to me is the the one thing that you can do in men's football is it's all based on if you're winning or not
1: so how do you, how do you take your resources as a club uh, and mostly financial resources? And obviously I don't disagree with you. I was a Chicago fire supporter and I guess I still am, but I just don't have the time anymore to support MLS because I'm busy. The first year they won the open cup at home, lifted a trophy at our ground. It was wonderful. And then they sucked for tw- uh, the other 12 years. I had tickets and it does the losing wears on you when it's, consistent mediocrity so while we say nick and i say this all the time the winning doesn't matter i agree with you that the winning does matter but if you had to pick where to spend your dollars either on a player salary or in a community initiative where do you spend if you have a ten thousand dollars to spend where do you put your money into the playing squad or into the community (laughs) how's that for a question
2: I think that depends on, on, on where the team is in the league. If you if I was if the team was near the bottom and someone gave me ten thousand dollars, I'd take that to the for the squad. I'm perhaps being a little bit selfish in terms of thinking of my my putting my football hat on first. Um I think on the whole, you're right. I think you'd put it into into a community um, facility, you'd put it into something that would generate community value
0: and i think that the, the only diff again i obviously i agree right because i've supported crappy soccer team for long enough i don't i think that the, the american marketplace is different mm. in that people either get shocked soccer or they don't and i suppose it would be like trying to start a Maybe the infrastructure isn't there, and it's the wrong analogy. But a baseball team in Lewis, or maybe a basketball team, because at least there's a, a knowledge of it, and it's not you know ridiculed. So that the people who care care, and they will come regardless. So it doesn't yeah. matter win, lose, or draw. You know they're coming because my God, there's basketball down the road. That's great. Um, it's the what that the ones that don't care that are coming for the experience. Like, I don't know. I I think I'm. Almost fundamentally against the idea of winning doubles the gate um, in the American market. I think because our fans and I may be doing them as credit, and let's just say fans generally at lower leagues, they don't know they have. There is no reason for them to care whether we're beating Edgewater two nil, four nil, or losing five nil. It's mm-hmm. they're coming for for their community. They're coming for the pride in their town, and yeah. I think there's. There is something fundamentally different between the american audience and the british audience that the result sort of exposes i think
1: well the the education of we talked about this i think too nick the education of the market is our community i'd be thrilled if two and a half percent knew what the midwest premier league was Mm
2: -hmm.
1: they don't know who we're playing they they're waiting for the schedule to get released so they can put the dates on their calendar but they're not gonna prioritize. Most of them are not gonna prioritize it. If something else comes up, that's what they're gonna do. But if there's nothing else, maybe we're an option. And I think the thing that that Nick and I've talked about is um, minor league baseball is as close to what we are trying to replicate in the US with family fun, go watch a sport on a Wednesday night, take the kids, have a hot dog and a beer. And um, in most of those cases, People understand what a minor league baseball team is.
2: They don't understand
1: what lower league soccer is yet. Where does it fit into the pyramid? What is a pyramid? Why don't Why don't you guys just go support your MLS team? All these things that are very hard to, to educate the community on what exactly we are. And it's something that we did heavily in our early, you know, our first year as we're starting to build some momentum and, and get some sponsors on and things like that, where we had to explain everything from the ground up. And I guess I take it I take it a little bit for granted now that we've been around a little bit. People recognize our brand in the community, while they may not know what we are. I don't have the I don't know the best way to deliver the message on what we are. Whether we're, you know, step six, seven, eight, nine, or five, it's kind of a it doesn't exist. So I don't know how to explain it. And I think that's that's one of the challenges here. Nick and I always go back to is. The people don't care. They're just here so their kids can run around. They can have a beer, watch a game. It's done in two hours, and they go home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so. the winning is great. And we've actually been modestly successful. You know, we 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 haven't had a losing season yet. So I mean, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, season's only ten games long, Stu. That's the problem. So it's only ten games. Well, yeah, that's a that's a big part of it. Too. You, by the time you get some momentum, it's over.
0: So, how do you, as a non-league club but you know wanting to be invested in your community how do you convince community partners sponsors whatever you want to phrase them of the value of being a part of lewis fc
2: um so so we have we have two levels of sponsors we have those that um are i would say are looking at getting a community return and those who um believe in our message Um, And we've tried for four years to get those big companies that believe in our message. We, we, you know, we've, we've kissed a lot of frogs. Um, We have a lot of big organizations who absolutely love what we do and will help us to try and get our message out wider and wider, but won't give us any, sponsorship dollars which is frustrating they're you know they'll say yeah we'll give you you know we'll we'll give you one of our consultants to do this work or we'll give you this free equipment or we'll give you you know this free product but actually what we want is is the is the cash so that helps us then build things like you know a community gym you know that's what we want um Mm. So, so that's one. wonder when I so say all of a sudden we, we've, we seem to have now clicked and we've got people interested um, in terms of the, the, the more local stuff, um, you know, we, we've tried our best to, to accommodate. If someone comes to us and says, you know, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, a local garage and I'd love to be involved in the club. Then, you know, we'll do player sponsorships and, a really good example of that is a local garage who sponsor one of our players. And prior prior to COVID, you know, they would they were they were really proud of the fact they had this player. And you know, they would do they would have the player up at the garage taking photos of them. <laughs> um, you know, and they, they would they would use the player, and the player loved it. You know, mm. absolutely loved it because it made them feel special. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it is about is about resource and I actually had this conversation with one of our fans last week um long-standing fan who was concerned that he didn't feel as if we had engaged with the town um and you know what he was saying it was, was was very valid and interestingly one of the things that we we have done is on for our for our women's team They they essentially have they're essentially semi professional. They are on the most part. We are their only employer, so so a lot of them don't have jobs. A lot of them are are very very well educated and have, you know, they are intelligent. So what we started to do is to see how we can um, employ those players in roles around the club. So one of them is. uh we've just signed a, a player actually from from brighton and her background is you know she's got a master's degree in business administration um so she's actually taking care of sponsorship and she's her, her job is is sponsors within the east sussex area so so as of i mean she started the role essentially mid-january um obviously she's not able to go out anywhere yet because of the restrictions, but her job will be literally to go and visit, you know, local businesses to, to spend a, you know, one day a week walking down the high street, talking to businesses, talking to them about the club and how they can, you know, benefit from partnering with the club. And and it's a really powerful message because if you've got the center forward of the women's team, who, who just so happens to be a, you know, a Nigerian international walking through your door and saying, hi, I want to talk to you about Lewis football club. And yeah, I'm I'm the center forward. Yeah. I scored two goals last Sunday. Mm. All of a sudden it becomes a bit powerful. If, if we can get that. And also, you know, in six months time, we're able to bring, you know, one of the the men's players along as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of a sudden, I think that the community engagement will start to increase and we can start showing, um people that there is a you know the the, that football in the town is is something cool one of the things that, that, that we don't do very well is is match the match day experience at lewis is fantastic it's it's a beautiful place to watch football you can have your beer you can have your food sometimes the football's good but actually the atmosphere is pretty moribund you know it's you know, we often have travelling supporters with, who are like six or seven of them, mm-hmm. and they will out sing the Lewis fans. There's not a lot of noise unless we're winning. Hmm. And I think that some of the clubs have done this really well. You know, Dulwich is probably the prime example, yeah. but Clapton, who are, you know, two levels below us, and, you know, they, they're regularly getting crowds of 3-400, even though they haven't got their own ground. And it's about the noise, you know, this, this, this sort of like this, this fan support, which is interestingly, because my experience of, of MLS is that a number of MLS clubs do this really, really well. Portland Timbers. I I saw Portland play Seattle two Mm -hmm. years ago and the, you know, seeing all of those fans in the stadium, like an hour and a half before and just giving it a hundred percent. And you just think this is, you know, absolutely fantastic. And I, I've seen it, you know, even going down to sort of like seeing Tampa play or, or the Cosmos when they were in the USL, um there were fan groups. Mm-hmm. That's missing at Lewis. Right. That and is that we really do need
0: yeah i've always i've always called them the beer boys but it just takes two or three right just to yeah yeah i, th- I don't know if you've had this is very niche right but um the best example i can think of is Sutton Coldfield Town um which is near Birmingham John for all it matters but um my, my friend of mine manages them, and they're probably, what, 200 if, there's, if there there's a day, between, uh, fans on a regular attendance, and there's like three or four, but they just happen to turn, they have to be musically gifted, and you've probably seen the video, Stu, about, they would. I think they did tequila or something, but just making a god-awful racket, um, and it just, it changes the whole vibe of the place, and yeah, English football, English non-league football, right, if you can get a couple of students or a couple of 20-somethings that are there for the crack and just enjoying themselves, it changes everything because we're the best in the world. You, you Lewis's and you, <laughs> your Lewis's, He's gone on football about that, but Lewis and yeah, our, our shared love of Workshop Town and places like that—they they're going to die if the the fan base doesn't regenerate itself. Because boardrooms like yours are the exception rather than the rule, and fan bases like Clapton and Dulwich are the exception rather than the rule. Right. So the next 20, 20 years. <laughs> this has turned into an English-facing podcast that wasn't the attention, but the <laughs> the, the dynamic has to shift somehow. And, uh, you know, clubs need to think, be thinking outside the box. And I think that's where American clubs are not leading the world. But because we are, that's the, that's the market we're in from day one, is how converting people who don't care. We are driving things forward. And whether it is the, the Portland Timbers atmosphere or whether it's, you know, the, the supporters groups and the TIFOs and whatever else, or whether it's just very simple fan engagement protocols, I think there's a lot to, to be learned once you get past the sniffiness of oh they call it soccer ha 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 um, yeah John anything to add
1: yeah I I got a, a slightly change of change of pace but this is something that Nick and I have talked about recently as recently as earlier today actually but <laughs> your 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 fan owned model um, I don't want to get bogged down in the business structure of it because it's it's obviously different different rules and stuff over here but um i I love um i love your ownership information page Mm -hmm. your your annual or your lifetime um option yeah we do we similar we have memberships we don't currently have like a lifetime option but i i love the way all your information is displayed i love the community benefits at the bottom that's not what you call it but it's kind of what you call it um Owner savings benefits and discounts. Your support and save card. I love that. Um, you mentioned you have about sixteen hundred owners yeah. worldwide. How do you engage them? Um, you know, what's what's the communication like? Um, just how do you organize them? And yeah. then what's the retention like? How do you get them to come back year after year and not just disappear?
2: So that's an interesting one because. Again, I'm going to do a pre-COVID and post-COVID. Um, Pre-COVID, um, we used to send out, there used to be a weekly email that went out that basically talked about, you know, the games and any sort of events coming up. It was quite low touch. We didn't really do any analytics as to who was reading it or clicking on the links or things like that. Um, we did uh we did manage to get a a, you know our our kit partner is um kappa and kappa gave us a discount for all our owners which um we sort of half-heartedly marketed and you know only five people have used that discount code covid comes along and all of a sudden you know we we, we realize and we move into these pillars and one of them is this fan com fan communication that actually we've done a pretty poor job at communicating with our fan base so apart from social media and and the fact that you know we will always engage with people on social media we're not one of these clubs that puts out something and then and then never responds to comments um we started talking to our fan base a bit more and So one of the things we did was we now do a monthly town hall and uh, via Zoom. And every month is a different subject and you'll have different um, uh, directors uh, will be involved. So our first one was based around um, just how the club is operating during COVID. Second one, which was two weeks ago, was... Uh, men's first team manager, women's first team manager, myself, a couple of others talking about football. And so, you know, it's uh, up to 50 owners can join and both times we've had 50 owners. Um, they can submit questions in advance. There's someone who, one of the directors MCs it. But what it enables um, owners to do is to come on and, and, and to ask questions or just to listen if they want to just listen as to how, you know, how are the men's team, what are they doing in the fact that they haven't played for nearly six months? You know, so what, what are we doing to keep them fit? You know, those types, of, those sort of questions. And the one this month is is around, um, uh, it's around the facilities, I believe this one. So a couple of the directors who are involved in the facilities will be on that and people again can come in. We've also started doing, we still do the the weekly email. Um, we also now do a weekly um, vlog as well. Just, you know, six or seven minutes with different people last week. Uh, I did an update on where we are with the men's season. Um, you know, the, the women's manager will talk about a quick preview of their game this Sunday. Um, or we'll talk about, you know, what's happening at the ground. Well, you know, we're planning on doing this bit of work and that bit of work. And, you know, with a video camera, we can actually go and say, right, and this is going to go here. And, you know, you show them exactly where it's going to go and things like that. So I think we've, we've increased the level of engagement. I still think we could do more Uh, and certainly talking to a number of other clubs. You know, I'll, I'll tend to try and talk to one person. I know at a club every day, just literally to catch up, see how they're doing. Um, We've also been able to um, use streaming. I'm not going to go into the to all the the background to streaming, but up until COVID, um, the the law in in England in Europe was you were not allowed to show any live football between two forty five and five fifteen on a Saturday during the season. wasn't allowed. Nobody broadcasters couldn't even, so an English broadcaster couldn't show a game in Spain during that time. It was a a blackout period that dated back to 1962. Um, But COVID changed that. And so we've been able to stream our games. And what streaming has enabled us to do is, again, it's engaged. So whilst the game is streaming, people are able to go onto the stream and they're able to put comments in and they're able to ask questions and we have a commentator and a co-commentator and then someone who, you know, who pulls together all the footage. So we're able to answer questions as we go along. We're able to give a little bit more colour about, you know, the the team or a particular player and things like that. And that's worked really, really well.
0: Mm-hmm. It's so strange, that streaming thing, because it's the complete opposite over here is like the league that we're speaking about, the Midwest Premier League, John being involved in it, one of the mandatory club requirement membership requirements is going to be a match day stream right the complete polar opposite of what the FA are doing because but I guess that's partly down to travel distances and whatever because you know but it's just expected over here that you have access to whatever it is whether it's whether it's the Chicago Cubs or Ducal County United. Stu look I, I think we could do this for another four hours but unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately we are running out of time um, and I appreciate you know it's 9 30 at night over there so um, any closing thoughts John? No, I, I, I agree. I could, uh, I could talk to you off the
1: recording for um, weeks and I look forward to our visit (laughs) when we, when we make the trip and, uh, and we'd love to have you over here sometime to show you the, uh, the American non-league experience. I thank you for your, uh, for your insight. It's been wonderful. Uh,
2: My absolute pleasure. And yeah, any, any help, advice, comment, questions you want. Um, just let me know i'm more than happy to help
1: you'll regret it but yeah, thank you, you. really well hey He's- hey nick i got a i got a shout out coach hamilton our under 23 men's coach started his high school season he yep. doesn't play in high school he coaches he told me he listens to every podcast and he said i better get a mention and so best of luck to my barbs as they get their campaign underway. And and Stuart, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Indeed.
0: Thank you, Stu. And if if Coach is listening still, why hasn't he been on the podcast? That'll be my question <laughs> to him. Um yeah, Stu, thank you so much for, for it and congratulations to everything you've achieved with Lewis. Um, cool. and you know, best of luck in the future.
2: All right, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, sure. thanks for Thank you. Bye. Now the time has come for leaving fear now we shall rec- so glad we can make it, but so sad we gotta
1: run. Well it might be a long time till we raise another glass. You can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh.